Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Let's Talk CFL Podcast. Roundtable discussion recorded live on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Visit Let's Talk CFL on Facebook for showtime. Brought to you by the Let's Talk Sports Groups on Facebook. Our partners, LostWorldOnSport.com. Stream live on BlogTalkRadio.com. Good evening, CFL fans, and welcome to Let's Talk CFL, episode 273. I am your fill-in host of the night, Charles Cliff, uh, Christopher Jones. Well, it's his wedding anniversary this week, or this evening, Um, so he actually is not joining us this week. Uh, Mark Weddle, who is also uh, a normal contributor, will also um, be away. He's out camping, has been for the last little while. So it's going to be a a, uh, smaller show tonight. Just uh, two of us tonight. Uh, That would be me and Will McDonald. We'll bring Will on here in just a moment. So a real interesting um, show tonight. And, of course, um, who else is away? It's... um, um, Chris is also away as he, uh, got called into work. He was going to be here tonight. He got called into work. So, uh, there's, uh, just going to be two of us tonight, but there's no shortage of things to talk about tonight because of course, uh, we have four games this weekend, four interesting games this weekend, and at least three results that not many people saw coming. The BC Lions got beaten, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers got beaten, and for the first time this season, the Calgary Stampeders got beaten. So not only did the number one team in the CFL, I would say three of those four were also considered the favorites going into these games. So um, interesting, interesting uh, week this weekend. Um Of course, the one game that did kind of go according to plan, Edmonton and Montreal. But we're going to get into all of those this weekend, um, or this evening, and we'll go over the weekend. Um, Before we go further, um, if you've seen the news at all, we here in uh, B.C., we've been undergoing uh, just terrible um, uh, forest fires for the last... um, for the last, really the last month, and um, I posted a picture on Facebook. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook and you're listening in, uh, I posted a picture on there of a a month ago, uh, me sitting on my balcony. Then I took another picture yesterday morning, and then I put them side by side for comparison. And in the picture I took yesterday morning, it looked like the valley behind me had disappeared because the smoke and so on is so heavy um, that the um, view we have from our deck, and usually I've got a pretty good view. If anyone knows, I live in Abbotsford, uh, and I usually have a view of Mission. If you know BC at all, Abbotsford and Mission, uh, you'll know where I'm talking about. But usually from my balcony, I can see right – I live on the side of a mountain – so I can see clear across the mission on most clear days. I can barely see out of my backyard right now because that's how bad the smoke is. And as a matter of fact, 
the smoke is so bad, it's going into the uh, neighboring province of Alberta. And as a matter of fact, the um, Edmonton Eskimos and Montreal Alouettes were actually toying with the idea that they may have to cancel the game that they played on Saturday night because there was so much smoke in the area um, from the forest fires that are coming over from B.C., that they didn't know if they were going to be able to get the game off because the air quality was so bad. Now, as it turns out, they did get the game off, but it's still um, not great here, not great here at all. So, um, And I know talking to Will before the show started, um, he was saying that it was Brad where he was in Calgary. So anyways, uh, enough of my yammering about forest fires and smoke. It's time to bring Will onto the show, so I'm not sitting here talking by myself. So let's go and bring him in, and we'll bring him on the line. Hello, Will. How are you tonight? I'm good, Charles. I, I was enjoying you talking to yourself. It was quite entertaining. Um, yeah, I can talk you to myself what? for quite a while. <laughs> you know, actually, I do not believe last week, I don't think Edmonton practiced outside at all okay i know Mm -hmm. calgary did because calgary did because they don't have a inside facility like edmonton does and that's how bad the smoke was um Mm -hmm. just to give you an idea you know from most places in calgary you can see you can see the downtown calgary skyscrapers from any part of the city and in the last week you could not see anything it almost looked like a dense fog was over the entire city and the air quality was rated at a 10 most of last week. So it's not good, but not good by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, and I'm sure it's not ideal to play football in, but I guess they do it. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's but, so bad here. When you walk outside, it's like you're walking into a campfire because that's yep. what it smells like because there's so much smoke in the air it sounds literally, or it smells literally like you're sitting next to a campfire. Yeah, it's just I find it really gross. So it's I really mean, bad. It, and people, yeah. if you have any sort of allergy or anything, don't eat, like around here. You don't even go outside because they get triggered pretty much right uh, as you step out there. It's really bad now. There's, they said our air quality warning is at a ten uh, over the next couple of yep. days which I believe is the highest rating you can get. So they're comparing yep. the uh, right now the pollution and the smoke and so on that we have in the air. They're comparing it to places like Indonesia and Malaysia and so on. These are cities where people walk around the cities wearing masks uh, with filters right. on it because they can't breathe in the air because it's so polluted. Right. So it's it's been really bad here. I mean, last year we had a lot of forest fires as well. I don't think it was nearly this bad last year, or it was at least on par because there's been a lot of smoke in the air. Yeah, I heard last year you had like 450, and this year you have over 600. So, Yeah, it's, uh, um, there are new ones popping up constantly. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, they're not near me. They're more up north and uh, out toward the Okanagan and stuff like that. But we still very much feel the effects down here where where we are. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Anyways, enough about the fires. I enough about the fires. About- uh, we should talk about football. That's what we're here to talk about. Right. 
All right, so let me just um, let me. Uh, I mean, I haven't hosted for a while, so I'm going to hit a button quickly here. So, all right. Uh, where is it? Which button here? Hey, this one here. Uh, I better press. Call five one six four one eight five four zero eight to speak with the host. Or hit up on social media through the Facebook group or on Twitter at Let's Talk CFL. Oh. Let's Talk CFL. Geez, why does it do that from time to time? You press a button and it's on like it's on a delay or something like that, and it's just kind of just sitting there with dead air. Thank you, Blogcock. I really enjoy that. Uh, anyways, so game one of the week happened on Friday. There was no Thursday game this past week, which I actually don't mind because I've never been a fan of Thursday games. In fact, I hate them. I think they're stupid, and uh, I would wish that they would just not do that, period, because people going out to this uh, Thursday CFL game, well, most of them have got to work the next day, and if you're like me and you live two hours from the stadium, it's not fun the next day. But I digress, because I had to do that last week. Um, so let's uh, go there now. And we had the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at home hosting the Ottawa Red Blacks. And wouldn't you know it, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they lost at home. And I think most of us thought they were going to win. And the Bombers um, fall in this one and didn't look good doing it either. They... Um, they really uh, laid an egg on their home field, which we haven't seen much of from Winnipeg this season. But they certainly uh, laid an egg big time in this one at home field. The final score is, you know, I'm just pulling my my computer is causing me havoc. I'm trying to pull up the information here on this game, and it's going like a turtle. Isn't this fun? Okay, here we go. Final score was Ottawa 44, Winnipeg 21. Ouch, the Bombers get spanked at home. Well, you watched this game. Uh, what did you think about it? You know what? I don't, quite truthfully, I don't think the uh, the Bombers decided to show up. Um, they were not in this game at all, right from the get-go. Um, you know, the first quarter, they kept it close, and then uh, Ottawa ran away with it in the second quarter and kept on running. And they were pretty even in the fourth quarter, but for the most part, for the most part, Ottawa just Ottawa looked Ottawa looked really good. And I don't know why a team like the Bombers would take them lightly because they are first overall in the East, and uh, you know they had the same record as Winnipeg, I do believe, going into the game, and. Uh, on this night, Trevor Harris was the better quarterback. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and uh, they just walked away with it. The uh, Bombers' defense did not put up much of a fight. Um, their offense didn't score that many points when they needed to. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was I was shocked by this one because uh, I picked – Winnipeg, and I thought this would be Winnipeg's uh, Winnipeg's coming out party. I mean, they lost to uh, who was their last game? Did they lose or did they win? I can't remember. No, they did. I, they won the last one. Did they beat Ham- Winnipeg? You're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I believe. Didn't they beat Hamilton? 
Oh, yeah, maybe they did. Yeah, yeah I believe or they beat they... Hamilton the last game. Yeah, they, they beat Hamilton. So, I mean, uh, but I don't know if they took this team lightly because uh, it they it did not look good for them. So, and I don't think... Uh, I don't think Matt Nichols played that well. He was running for his life for most of the night. And uh, it was an overall poor effort on Winnipeg's part. Um, Trevor Harris looked pretty freaking good. Um, The receivers looked pretty good. And uh, maybe, maybe Ottawa is the team to reckon with in the East because they are starting to they are starting to pull away from uh, all the other teams in the East. I mean, they're at six and three and the next best record is three and five. So Mm -hmm. um, they've won two in a row. So there you go. Did you watch the game? I'm assuming you did. Um, I did see bits and pieces of it, although I was out for a while on Friday night. So I did not see the whole thing. But the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, um, let's face it, they got spanked on home field, which is normally they're a very good team on home field. They've uh, won most of the game there. This one, they just didn't have it. They were kind of bombed in this one. And Winnipeg got out on the, or Ottawa got out on them early. We're up 22-7 to at the half. And uh, Andrew Harris, um, I had said last Wednesday that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers go as Andrew Harris goes. Now, the Bombers, now Andrew Harris had a decent night, but for his standards, he was kind of down. I mean, he had 72 yards rushing, which isn't a bad night, plus a touchdown, but he only had six yards receiving, which is not Andrew Harris-like. Andrew Harris, as we know, is most effective when he's both uh, uh, through the air, a threat through the air, and a threat on the ground. Well, they took away, seemed to take away his threat on the ground, he had three catches, but they were only for a grand total of six yards. Uh, so that um, is not typical Andrew Harris-like. Darwin Adams actually had a very strong game for the Bombers. He had 162 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So he had a big um, game. Um, Matt Nichols was okay in this game. I know he went out for a while with an injury. So he left for a while. Crest Trevler came in and actually played very well in this limited role. He went four for five for 36 yards. Uh, but then they put Matt Nichols in late, and that was not a popular decision. Now, I'm not going to go too far to that because we're going to talk about that um, uh, later in, uh, after our uh, game previews, or game reviews, that is. This is uh, being the Sunday-Monday show. But, um, yeah, Nichols went in, and when Nichols went back in, the game was pretty much already decided. There wasn't much left to decide on that one. But uh, Trevor Harris, second straight game where he had uh, big uh, yardage. He had over 400 in the game last week. Uh, and then he put up another 361 in this game. Now, again, still one touchdown, but they did um, – one touchdown pass, but they did generate three touchdowns along the ground. William Powell with uh, um, a touchdown. He had over 106 yards, and Dominic Davis had a couple of short yardage touchdowns. Uh, of course, Greg Ellington uh, stepped it up here, 100 yards uh, receiving. 
their big receiver, though, uh, Brad Sinopoli, held fairly good in check in this one. Only 51 yards receiving, but, um, yeah, the Ottawa defense stepped it up. They got to the quarterback uh, four times. Um, they had a pick from uh, Matt Nichols. Uh, that's one thing. And Trevor Harris did not throw a pick in this game, so... Ottawa was full value, and I was quite surprised. I was fully expecting a Winnipeg win in this game. I would think that most people were expecting a Winnipeg win in this game. Uh, I'm pretty yep. sure most, if not everybody, picked Winnipeg to win this game on our panel. But we didn't yes, get they that. Did. Yeah, we didn't get that. We had uh, Ottawa more than doubling Winnipeg on home field. Yep. Yep. Which is really, really, really strange for Winnipeg. Yeah. Well, that's so what I'm saying. I think, They're normally a very yeah. good home team. But, I think um, they have some problems. I think they have some problems. So It's possible. Yeah. It seems to be yeah. some dissension between, potentially between Matt Nichols and Mike O'Shea. I'm not sure or, or who it is, whether it's the offensive, whether it's Paul Apolisa. But there's some issues there, it seems like. Something's not right there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. So as All far right. as our scores go, as far as our scores go, nobody got a point because we all that's right because picked, everybody picked Winnipeg. Nobody picked Ottawa. We all picked Winnipeg. Which and is, pay attention. I was going to say, pay attention to that if you're listening because that is going to be a um, a trend, I think, for the rest of this show. <coughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so I think we're good on that one, so let's move on to game two. Oh, come on, Buttons. I was already complaining about you. Here we go. All right, game two was actually game one of a Saturday doubleheader in the CFL. It was at BMO Field in Toronto. And wouldn't you know it, coming off that big win, that last-second win uh, a few weeks ago, um, they had their biggest crowd of the season at BMO, over 18,000, which was very nice to see. They actually had some fans in the stadium. And the fans got rewarded as the Argonauts edged out my BC Lions 24-23. A close one-point game in this one. Will, what were your thoughts on this game? Well... You know, we talked we talked on uh, the show last week about whether uh, uh, Bethel Thomas was for real, and we thought uh, once teams got uh, some film on them, they'd be able to shut them down. Well, he played pretty freaking good against BC. I mean, it was a close game overall. It did go back and forth. Um, he threw for two hundred and sixty six two hundred and sixty yards. And Travis Lule threw for 285, one TD apiece. Um, so, you know what? Obviously, I don't know if they didn't watch the film or Toronto's offensive line is good. And when you give this guy some time, he uh, will pick you apart. Um, it was, you know what? It was a it was a close game all the way through. Um, I, I I don't like to say say things like coulda, shoulda, woulda. But I'm thinking if uh, BC hadn't uh, fumbled the ball on their last series, this game might have been different. They might have kicked mm-hmm. the uh, 
the uh, game game winning field goal or touchdown pass that didn't happen and Toronto won um another guy I thought who looked really good in this game and I think the best he's looked all year uh come on now um James Wilder um, James Jr. Wilder, James Wilder Jr. He had 91 yards, 18 carries, 91 yards, and and I think he was running the way he ran last year, and mm-hmm. uh, it was he was impressive. But you know, once again, I mean, BC BC stuck with him. I mean, I, in a game like that, you can't really say one team played bad and one team played good because they were. Co- quite even throughout the game. But the scariest thing is, and and let's just, we can talk about the East and the West for a second. I mean, uh, as of at the end of that game, BC was three and five and they're fifth in the West. And Toronto is also three and five and they're second in the East. Mm -hmm. There's a huge, there's a huge discrepancy between the East and the West. Yeah, I've always believed we got to do something to fix that, but I still to this day do not know what the solution is. So, um, you know, if you look at if you look at the overall stats for that game, Toronto had uh, 21 first downs, BC had 23. Um, they both had uh, 20 and 19 respectively uh, first downs, and. Uh, you know, it was even right along, right down the board. So it was. it was a good game. I mean, you can't fault BC. They didn't get the two points. But as we've been saying on this show for a couple of weeks now, I think BC is a better team than their, than their record reflects. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, you look at BC, they probably should have won this game. They probably should have beaten Ottawa. They could very easily be five and three, without yep. much without much changing. Uh, it's just making a play here, not fumbling there. And um, I'm with you. I think that if they hang on to the ball, they probably go down and get a game-winning field goal, and they win this game. But uh, it's a game of inches. It's a game of uh, one or two plays making the difference. And in this game. Really, that fumble was the one that basically sealed it for them. It was a very evenly played game. I mean, if you're looking at total offense, 414 to 366, not much difference there. Um, Rushing yardage, 116, 106. Passing yardage, 298. It was very close in in pretty much all all facets of the game. Uh, except uh, one that kind of sticks out for me, turnovers. Lions turned the ball yep. over four times. Uh, Toronto only turned the ball over once. And that's kind of telling the story. That's kind of your key stat in this game. Uh, the turnovers are what kind of killed them. They didn't need those turnovers. Um, I thought that for the most part that the Lions played pretty well. I thought both teams played hard in this game. Like you said, James Wilder Jr. maybe had his best game of the season. He did have the 91 yards rushing, and he also had 49 yards receiving. So you're up there almost at 140 yards total offense. That's a really good game. 
the Lions receivers, I mean, were led by Brian Burnham and Amani Arsenal. They both had 90 yards, plus, or actually Burnham had 91, um, Arsenal had 90. So those are the guys you need to have leading your team. But, of course, that one fumble is what everyone's going to remember Manny for because it came at the worst possible time. But as it is, um, you know, like you said, I think the Lions are a better team than their record. They should probably be, rightfully be, either 4-4 four and four or 5-3. and three. But they're not. Uh, a couple bounce about here, about there, and they're three and five. So they've got an important game coming up this Saturday. An interesting, even more interesting game than I thought it was going to be coming up with the um, with the um, Riders this Saturday. But we'll get into that on Wednesday when we preview the games this weekend. Um, and this is another game that I don't think he did. did anyone pick Toronto. I don't remember. I, I know I didn't. I don't think you did, and I know CJ didn't. I don't no, think anybody nobody, did. Nobody, nobody picked Toronto. Everybody yeah, so picked BC. So that's the second even game Mark, in a row. Even, we all get even, a Mark, even Mark, even Mark, even Mark picked BC, and he never picked BC. Yep. So once again, we get zero points for this game. Yep. Okay. Second so game in a row. Second. And, when has this ever happened before? It doesn't usually happen. At least one of us waivers. But yep. it didn't happen this week for some reason. So, and one one thing the Lions didn't do uh, this this uh, they just they did not get enough uh, offense or excuse me enough pressure on Bethel Thompson. He he had a lot of time to throw the ball. He was able to find um, receivers. He was able to make extra time. The Lions, had three, the Lions had three sacks on that game, but two of them came in the same drive. I, there was one time the Lions had back-to-back sacks, uh, so that means they just got one the rest of the game. That's not enough. They got to get. There was too many times they only got those sacks. Plus, there, uh, most of the other times they were not getting a lot of pressure on them. So they really need to. Um, they got to get that pass rush and. We're going to talk, I think, a little bit something later on uh, because there's a little bit of breaking news in the Lions camp, but we'll get into that later on. But it could help um, could help out uh, the Lions' pass rush going forward. So 24-23 um, for the Argos over the Lions at BMO Field, and now on to part two of the doubleheader. Let's talk CFL. So there was only really one game that went according to plan this week. Uh, the game that everyone thought <coughs> went the way pretty much everyone thought it was going to go. And that was the second half of the doubleheader with the Montreal Alouettes going into Edmonton. And not surprisingly, when you've got a game where the two quarterbacks are Mike Riley and Antonio Pipkin, Mike Riley came out on top, surprisingly, as the Eskimos um, knock off Montreal twenty or excuse me, forty to twenty four. So a double digit win for the Eskimos, sixteen points. They knock off the Alouettes at Commonwealth Stadium. Will, what'd you think of this one? This one pretty much went according to plan. Yeah, it did. Um it was uh you know Edmonton started from the get go and, and just outscored Montreal in every quarter and workmanlike effort on their part. <laughs> Mike Riley threw for 424 yards. 
which mm-hmm. is pretty spectacular for Mike Riley. He's, a, he's the best quarterback in the CFL, my opinion. But they also they also had some outstanding performances by you know running backs. He had over 100 yards, uh, and Brian Mitchell had seven receptions for 128 yards. So he was doing well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I think this is just a this is just a case of Edmonton is that much better than Montreal. I mean, Montreal, once again, we're starting a new quarterback who, in my mind, didn't look that bad, to be honest with you. Um, He just needs a little more support from the rest of his team. And and I think they'll – I think Montreal settled down a little bit. I think Montreal is going to be okay for the rest of the season. I don't know if they're going to win a lot of games. Um, But, hey, we expect it. We expected Edmonton to win. There's no doubt about it. And they did just that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're one of the few that did that this week. So, more power to Edmonton. Go ahead. Yep. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, this uh, Edmonton team, they did, or this Montreal team, they were going into this game as massive underdogs, and even they knew it. I mean, uh, Antonio Pipkin, hey, he held his own. He had 217 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He didn't embarrass himself. Now, he didn't win the game, but, I mean, they. Um, I thought they should have uh, maybe leaned a little bit more on Terrell Sutton, especially when you got a younger quarterback with not a lot of experience in there, and you got a back like Terrell Sutton, but they only gave him nine carries. Now, of course... They were fighting from behind most of this game, so I guess that makes sense why they weren't overly enthusiastic about using their running game. But um, <coughs> they held their own. Mike Riley was, well, he was Mike Riley. Um, I expected him after getting beaten by the Lions the previous week that uh, he was going to come out and have a big game, and he just did just that. 33 of 42, 424 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That's more of the Mike Riley we're used to seeing, even though he had a bit of a, a, a lower game the week before. Shaquille Cooper, running back, rushing for 102 yards, pretty impressive. Um, yeah, there's um, Bryant Mitchell uh, with a big game there. Uh, Darrell Walker also had 82 yards. Duke Williams, 72 yards and a touchdown. The Riley spread the ball out very well there. He had... Um, one, two, three, four, five receivers with five-plus catches. Uh, so he did a good job there in the Edmonton defense. Didn't have to be spectacular. They're playing a young quarterback, so uh, they really just had to uh, put up some force, and that's what they did. But, hey, Montreal, they lost, but they they didn't get beaten. You know, they didn't give up 60 points or anything like that. They didn't get beaten 60 to 15 or so on which I'm sure a lot of people thought this might be. When they're coming into Edmonton, playing an angry Eskimos team that had lost a week before, and they're starting Antonio Pipkin at quarterback, that could look like it could have been a recipe for disaster. But they held their own. They, were, they weren't spectacular. Um, I, of course, they were never really in danger at all of winning this game, but they held their own. So you got to give them at least some sort of credit because – Hey, they could have been beaten by 80 points or something like that. They didn't need they didn't do that. So, 
give them credit where credit is due, but Edmonton's just a far superior team, and I don't think there's anyone out there that would disagree with that. And I don't think anyone's out there that they anyone out there is surprised that the Eskimos took home a win this week. I think most people were expecting this too. And again, this is a game. Finally, this is the one game where we actually picked winners. I'm sorry, we I don't have the scores with us this week. Of course, CJ keeps track of those, so I don't have I do those have, ones available. I, oh, you do. I, have I them? do have. I do have the scores. Yes, I do. Okay, go oh, perfect. Um, All right. Um, I was going to add in this game there was also there was also two players that got ejected in this game, Darius That's Bowman, right. and I cannot remember the other guy's name for Edmonton. Um, but I, I was. I was pretty shocked and surprised they got ejected. I mean, they swung at each other on a play when they were in contact with each other, and before you know it, they're both getting walked off the field, which I thought was uh, was kind of strange, and I tend to wonder if maybe they said something to each other that we didn't hear, and that's why they were ejected. But, uh, um, well, let's look at the score real quick. Um, let's see, CJ picked... Uh, Edmonton 46 and the Owls 9. He was 21 points out. Uh, Charles Cliff picked uh, Edmonton 48 and the Owls 15. He was 17 points out. Uh, Mark Weddall picked picked, uh, 31-24 for Edmonton. He was 9 points out. Uh, Not Chris, uh, yeah, Chris, Chris, uh, the other Chris picked, uh, Edmonton 42, uh, uh, Montreal 17. He was also nine points out, which is not too bad. And then there was a guy by the name of Will McDonald who picked, uh, Edmonton 38 and the Owls 18. And he was eight points out. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I get the one lonely You're point. You're going to get the only point this week this, because we all got the next week. game wrong, too. We all got the next game wrong, too. So, yep. Um, hey, it was a strange week. There's no doubt about it. Very. So, um, I don't, I don't, is that a, I wonder if this is a turning point in the season for some teams? And did we, did we see the, the cream of the crop float to the top or did everybody take other teams lightly this week? That's, that's my question. But once again, as we've said in the past, nothing really starts in the CFL till Labor Day. And I'll be curious about those games coming up. There's one more weekend to before Labor Day. And then as we all say here, that's when the real football starts. Yep. So, yeah, anyways. I think it's going to be a very interesting second half of the season because there's, there's still a lot of question marks um, in this season right now. So um, I think the second half is going to be very telling, maybe even more so than in other years. So this is going to be, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how this all shakes out. So, mm-hmm. yep. me too. Yes. Me too. All right. Well, let's move on to the final game of the week. And I pressed the button and it didn't work again. So you know what? Forget the button. I'm just going to move on to the next <laughs> game. Stupid button. Okay. 
you know, probably just start playing out of the blue or something like that. Okay, so the final game took place at Mosaic Stadium in uh, Saskatchewan. And another upset, another game that I think a lot of people were probably surprised at. I know I was shocked the hell out of this one. Um, but it was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders knocking off the previously unbeaten Calgary Stampeders by a score of 40-27. to 27. A bit of a laugher in this one. This game was actually um, Saskatchewan's right from the start. Um, the Riders um, had a 24-6 lead at the half, and they never really looked back. Calgary kind of got somewhat close there, but any time they seemed to get remotely close, uh, Saskatchewan will put some more points up and pull away again. So this is not what we're used to, and I sure as hell wasn't what any of us were expecting as will be evident when we talk about our picks at the end of this game. But, Will, this was your uh, team in the undefeated season that you were picking. Well, it's over for another year. Why did you? What did you think about this uh, with your team suffering the first loss in Saskatchewan? Well, as I mentioned to you before, I will always say at the beginning of every season that Calgary is going to go undefeated, and it's just it's, it's Willie's unicorn and, 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 and fairy pick, I guess you could say. One of these years, he'd like to see an undefeated team. And he'd love to see Calgary being the undefeated team. And then reality sets in, and I realize that sometime during the season, they will lose. And if you, if you look at it, Calgary never does anything small. Whether they win or they lose, they always do it big. And in the game yesterday, okay, so they they had a Saskatchewan had a pick six off of Bo Levi. They had a blocked uh, a blocked punt for a touchdown, and uh, then they only had one offensive touchdown, and the rest were field goals, if I am remembering correctly. Uh, you I believe tell, so. That's correct. You, you could tell from the beginning of the game. Saskatchewan came out and they wanted this really bad and Calgary uh, didn't really put up much of a fight in the first half and the, the the neat thing is usually we're talking about how Calgary's defense played so well and Calgary's offense didn't play that well but it was the complete opposite in this game. Calgary's uh, Calgary's defense couldn't stop Saskatchewan at least from getting field goals and they're usually better at that they did not have a quarterback sack and uh, overall it wasn't one of their best efforts I was impressed with uh, Calgary's offense because they pushed back in the second half but once again Calgary's defense couldn't stop Saskatchewan from pushing back and the neatest thing about this game is that I think we saw the old Zach Kolaris in this game. He was mm-hmm. he played quite well, and I don't know what his stats were. I do believe Bo Levi had more passing stats than him, but you know what? Stats are stats. Um, they don't mean a heck of a lot when you don't win, and Zach Kolaris had almost 270 yards of uh, passing offense, which he hasn't that, had that for a long time, and he looked, he looked very comfortable behind their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I know there's lots of Saskatchewan fans out there because let's put it this way. All weekend, I was looking forward to this game. I did everything I had to do at home, and I got ready for Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock to watch the Stampeders beat, beat Saskatchewan. It didn't happen. Was I disappointed? Absolutely, I was disappointed. Will I, will I still um, say that I think Saskatchewan is going to win the Grey Cup this year? Not a chance. I think that Saskatchewan is going to be hard-pressed to even make the playoffs this year. Um, do I think their defense is better than Calgary's? On this day, they were. But overall, do I think they are? Not a chance. Um, one of the things I, I, I said to Saskatchewan fans online last night, and all of them uh, poo-pooed me, I guess you could say, is that if you give Chris Jones 17 days to plan for a team, there's a pretty good chance his defense is going to win it for him because Chris Jones, and I've stuck to this all year long, Chris Jones is, is a defensive genius, but he is not a head coach and he is not a general manager. And you can call in and dispute that if you'd like to, but those are just my opinions. Um, do I think uh, Saskatchewan will beat Calgary again this year? Not a chance. Um, on any given day, anybody can beat anybody, but I just think Saskatchewan wanted it more yesterday. And let's face it, when you've won seven straight, it's pretty hard to get motivated sometimes. And I think that was, a perfect example yesterday. Charleston Hughes, he, uh, I do believe he got two sacks yesterday. Good on Charleston Hughes. I, I personally think that uh, Calgary uh, traded Charleston Hughes one year too soon, but they did not have a choice if they wanted to sign the players that they see in the future of their team. So Am I disappointed in losing to Saskatchewan? I'm always disappointed in losing to Saskatchewan. I absolutely hate when Calgary loses to Saskatchewan, but it is what it is, and it happens, and there you go. But I'll finish it off with, Ryder fans, you shouldn't be planning your parade yet. Go ahead, Charles. The law of averages said that the Calgary Stampeders were going to lose a game sooner or later. I mean, I don't think anyone really thought, even you, Will, they were going to come through this season 18-0. and Was it an outside possibility? Sure. But realistically, it wasn't going to happen. Um, so this actually turned into a, a kind of a a perfect setup uh, for this to happen. Um, the the Riders did have the bye week last week, so they didn't play. Um, although, even though they were full of turmoil last last week with the um, uh, release and the whole Duran Carter situation, but maybe uh, that may have helped. Maybe it was a bit of a rallying point for this team. I'm not sure. But uh, their defense certainly came to play. Um, they had five quarterback sacks against Bo Levi Mitchell, and that's a very big number against this Calgary team, which has a very good offensive line. Uh, but they were able to get through to Bo Levi Mitchell five times in this one, which really surprises me, but they, they did it. But, um, yeah, and 
on the flip side, the Calgary defense, which has been a very good defense, not a single sack against Zach Kolaris. So there's a big difference that right there. And Zach Kolaris looked like the Zach Kolaris we saw in Toronto and in his early days of Hamilton. He looked more like an elite quarterback there. So with every week, I think his confidence grows because I'm sure when he first came back, he, with all the injuries he had, he was gun-shy, but with each week, and I think you've seen the same thing uh, with Travis Lule here, each week they get through, they feel stronger, and uh, they gain more confidence. Having said that, uh, 18 of the 40 Rough Rider points came off of the foot of Brett Lowther, their kicker, who who was actually, uh, where is it over here, 6 for 6 on field goals. So the offense, while they played pretty well, still had some problems finishing drives. So uh, they were able to put up 22 points, and then they got six field goals for the other 18. So that's a little bit of a concern. I mean, they're still getting points. They're still getting into field goal range, and that in itself is an accomplishment. But, uh, you know, I... It's kind of a double-edged sword when your kicker has six field goals. Yeah, he had a great game. He kicked six field goals. But that's also six drives that stalled on your offense, which you don't like to see. Um, And, yeah, Bolian eventually – sorry, go on. I was going to say, and the other – there was 14 points that came off. Seven of them came off the – or, sorry, six of them came off the defense, and six of them came off special That's right, and a blocked punt. So really, right. uh, 14 points, that's only one touchdown that the offense is generated. That's correct. So, huh. so that's not all that impressive. I mean, they got the points, but they can't rely on their kicker to get six field goals every week. They can't rely on uh, getting a special team to defense every touchdown every week. So they still got some work to do there, clearly. In fact, if you were looking at just the quarterback stats, you would swear that Calgary won this game because Bo Levi Mitchell, 275 yards passing, four touchdown passes, one pick, while uh, Zach Caleros had 270 yards touchdown, 270 yards passing, but no touchdowns, no interceptions. So that's, uh, but it's not played just obviously by the quarterbacks. And you got to give credit where credit was due. The defense of the um, Calgary of the Saskatchewan Roughriders, they really came to play, and I think they won it primarily because of their defensive play, not only generating points, but also shutting down a very, very explosive Calgary offense. Uh, So back to the drawing board, uh, I think you're going to see Calgary. Dave Dickinson, I know, doesn't like to lose at all. So I think he's going to um, put his boy through uh, some uh, uh, not a fun week, to try and uh, get them back uh, into the win column next week. So I was going to say it, and despite everything you said about what Saskatchewan didn't do and what they, they what they didn't, I mean, I'm I'm the first guy to say I've said it on this show many, many, many times. Doesn't matter how you get there, a win is a win is a win. And Correct. Saskatchewan won. Saskatchewan won hands down. Mm-hmm. Okay, no they got the it. win. Yep, no question. I could, I could make a couple of excuses. I could say Calgary 
lost one of their offensive linemen in the first part of the game, and once that happens, the cohesiveness of the offensive line is not the same because these guys communicate with each other quite a bit during practice in, in their before the games. Um, and there was, a, you know, near the end of the game last night, there was a there was a mugging downfield by a Saskatchewan beatback, and Calgary could not challenge that because they didn't have a challenge left. And so, you know, I'm thinking, and, and this is just me talking off the top of my head, Calgary had another 10 minutes that game might have looked differently. But it's possible. You know, if you get minutes, Saskatchewan won, bottom line. Yeah, and they, but they certainly kept coming. They didn't... Uh... Roll over and die, but uh, you got to give Saskatchewan credit where it was due. They got the win, and they were full value for it. So uh, I'm just going to give it to and I guess this week, this week we'll find out really what kind of a team Calgary is because the Bombers are coming to Winnipeg. They're supposed to be one of the top teams in the West. Let's see what happens. Yeah. This is a very telling week for – I think this is a very telling week for both of those teams. Both of those teams, as well as, you know what, BC is playing, I do believe BC plays Saskatchewan in BC this week. Right, yes, it's in BC on Saturday night. And and that's a telling game for BC and Saskatchewan. Yep, 100%. You can can get up for the good teams in the CFL. Let's see if you can get up for the not-so-great teams in the CFL, if that's where you get the big points. Yep. No, totally agree. Totally agree. All right. All right, well, those are the four games. And once again, we all picked Calgary to win this game. Nobody picked Saskatchewan. So nobody gets a point. So in four games, one point was handed out. And it went to Will on the Montreal Edmonton game. Everybody else gets shut out for the week. I'm the winner this week. All right, Yep, almost by default, but whatever. Almost, yep. Yep. But you got the point, so that's what counts. Doesn't matter how you get there, just like you said. Yep. All righty. All right, so there is the four games for this week, so it's time to move on and put a wrap on that week. Let's talk CFL. Not too bad. We're almost uh, halfway through the show, and we did the uh, game review, so we're not doing too bad. We'll see how it goes um, with the rest of the agenda, but we've got some other stuff we can talk about. What's that? I I was going to say, also going back to the Saskatchewan game, who the heck is this Williams-Lambert guy? Because he had 10 receptions for 152 yards, and Calgary could not stop that guy. Yeah, he caught every ball that they threw to him. Okay, and this yeah, guy's Jordan come out of Williams nowhere. Lambert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So more more power to him. Um, mm-hmm. And just on Calgary's side, I I will say that their their one of their their starting corner was out for the entire game. He did not play, and that would be Trey Robertson. And there yeah. was somebody else in his place, and I've never heard of the guy who was in his place and. He uh, got burnt quite a bit by Williams Lambert. So, yep. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure who he is. He's a 
And he's got over, he's got almost 400 yards receiving, so he's not just like a one-game wonder. He, he had a big game uh, against Calgary, so uh, interesting. He's had a, is he a rookie this year? I guess he's a rookie this year. I yeah? think he is a rookie this he year, yeah. He is a rookie, yeah. Well, he, he had a big game, uh, and he had not a bad game their last game. He had 86 yards in the previous game, so right. uh, he may and, be another you know, coming. They talk about all the... They talk about all the good receivers they have, yeah. and this guy, I've never heard of him, and uh, he was uh, quite good. So, Yeah, well, you have to wonder, too, is, that, this, uh, is he getting, uh, you know, some extra, some more looks now that Deron Carter is gone? Quite prob- That's yeah. quite probably the case, probably getting some more uh, playing time. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. and uh, he's uh, he is an American receiver. And uh, he is, according to this, he is a rookie. And, uh, well, he's a rookie in the CFL. So, there you go. And maybe maybe he got the opportunity because, uh, Dur- uh, what's his name, Deron Carter is no longer. So, I think there's a, that's a very strong possibility. Yeah. 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 All right, on to next segment. So as we I made a bit of a reference to earlier, the Boo Birds were out in full force on uh, Friday night in Winnipeg um, when the um, this actually created quite a bit of uh, news on social media and elsewhere. When uh, of course uh, there was a period in the game where Matt Nichols got knocked out of the game with an injury. Uh, but then uh, later in the game, when the game was, for all intents and purposes, it was out of reach. Uh, but they ended up, uh, these um, Bombers ended up putting Matt Nichols back into the game, uh, despite the fact that he had gone out with an injury, and there was really no reason for him to be back in the game, because the game was basically decided at that point. But they decided to put him in anyways, and as he was going in, he was getting booed, or... I should. I didn't put that well. He there were boos coming out, a lot of boos from the fans. And Matt Nichols interviewed after the game was not very happy with it. Uh, he he kind of talked to boos as an insult, stating basically that he um, basically had uh, put his heart and soul into the um, into the game and so on, uh, into the game and into the city. And he didn't really appreciate the boos coming from the fans in Winnipeg. There now. A lot of people, some of the Bomber friends and so on, have gone online saying, well, they weren't really booing Matt Nichols. A lot of fans thought they were they were actually booing the decision to put Matt Nichols in because why are you putting a quarterback in who went out with an injury, who has had injury troubles earlier in the season, in a game that's basically over rather than giving Chris Strebler, their young quarterback, some playing time, which could be helpful to him. So there's kind of a, a debate about what they were actually booing, and even if they were booing Matt Nichols, does he basically have to take it being a professional athlete? So, Will, uh, I'm sure you've probably read and seen uh, stuff about this. What did you think of this here, uh, this whole booing incident with the Bomber fans and Matt Nichols and not being happy and so on? Well, you know what? Most people said that it, it – they thought the boos were not at Mac Nichols, but the decision to put him back in. Mm-hmm. 
And I would tend to agree with that. But then he gave his speech of he puts his heart and soul into these things, yada, yada, yada. And might I add, and he makes $300,000 a season. So I, I don't think anything about what he said. I mean, there's been a lot better quarterbacks in the CFL that have gotten booed. And if you come from Winnipeg, you know that this is a very fickle fan base and it's quite a knowledgeable fan base. And, I mean, they've booed Kahari Jones, who was one of the best quarterbacks in Winnipeg ever. They've booed Tom Clements. They've booed uh, <coughs> um, Kevin Glenn, okay? These are top quarterbacks, and they've all gotten booed in Winnipeg. So, to me, I say Matt Nichols, if they are booing him, you know what? Grow a set. It's pretty simple. I mean... If you look at anybody else in, in, in the CFL, you look at you – think, you think if fans, which they really do in Saskatchewan a lot, you think if fans boo at Bo Levi, it has any effect on them whatsoever? You look at a guy like Henry Burris. He's been booed numerous times in Calgary when he was the starting quarterback. You think it had an effect on him? Not even close. Okay, and for him to come out and say he puts his heart and soul, well, everybody puts their heart and soul into these things, okay? And I, I think it, it goes to character, and I, I, I'm sorry, but I look at Matt Nichols as less of a quarterback because he actually said those things. You don't, you don't put those things out there in public, in my opinion. Okay, and I, I tend to wonder if, you know, is this, well, we've all talked on this show. I don't think Matt Nichols is the guy to bring these guys to the promised land. I really don't. I, I think what they have to do is they have to, they have to uh, teach uh, Chris Strebler some things and he should be the starting quarterback within the next two years. And they should just say goodbye to Matt Nichols altogether. Cause if booze are going to affect him, I mean, look out, you're not, you do not have a winner. Just my opinion, once again. Well, I kind of agree with you there. Um, first of all, like a lot of people have said, I don't necessarily even think they were booing Matt Nichols. I think they were booing the decision to put him back in. And let's face it, they always say the most popular player on a football team is always the backup quarterback. And they say that for a reason. Because when things go well, the quarterback gets a lot of praise. When things go crappy, the quarterback gets a lot of the blame. Well, that's the quarterback's job. He's supposed to be the leader of the team on the field. He, he's the front man for the, um, for the team. He's the guy that the reporters always go to first. He's this, he's that. You've got to be thicker skinned. Come on. You're being paid $300,000 a year to play a game. Meanwhile, a guy that's making fifty grand a year is spending half his paycheck to come watch you play. You're really going to sit there and complain about that guy booing when the team's having a subpar, when the team's getting their ass kicked on home field? You don't think they should be booing you? I mean, come on. Have a little bit of thick skin. You're right. Better quarterbacks have been booed in the past. Uh, I remember I've seen Doug Flutie get booed before. I've seen... He brought up a great example, Henry Burris. Um, every good top-tier quarterback has been booed at one time or another. 
I remember Roy DeWalt here in Vancouver in the 80s. Uh, he won the McGray Cup. He got mercilessly booed all the time to the fact that after they won the Grey Cup, fans brought to the Grey Cup championship rally, fans b- brought signs saying, Roy, we're sorry, because they had booed him so much throughout the season. Quarterbacks are going to get booed. That is the part of being the starting quarterback of a football team. You're expected to be the leader. I have never heard a successful quarterback, a top-notch quarterback, a Grey Cup winning quarterback, come out and started whining about the uh, the tri- the treatment he gets from the fans. It's uh, They simply don't do that. Why? Because um, because I think uh, they know better. They just they let it go. They don't sit there whining about it. They've got way more important things to worry about. If your team's just been beaten by, uh, you know, 15, 16 points on home field, you want to worry about your next game. You're not you're not going to be sitting there worrying about what the fans thinking. If you are, you're worrying about the wrong thing. Worry about the team on the field. Put all the crap off the field out of your mind. Because in the grand scheme of things, it ain't important. You're being paid, like I said, $300,000 to play a game. Focus on that game. Forget what the fans are doing. It's got nothing to do with you. All right? Uh, I'm... Uh, <laughs> If you want to be the starting quarterback of a professional football team, you got to be ready to take these lumps. That's just how things happen. So, you know, smarten up and just don't don't worry about it. Leave the stuff off the field where it is. Off the field, worry about the team on the field, especially after you got beat like you did on home field because that's not what you should be worrying about. Worry about the team. Don't worry about what the fans are doing. It's not going to help you any. So, that's something that really has to be – I understand he's frustrated, but you know what? All players get frustrated. All quarterbacks get frustrated. It goes with the territory. Sorry, being a professional athlete is not always nice. There's going to be some crap times, but it goes with the territory. That's why the quarterback is normally the top one of the top players on the team because you're going to – along with that territory, uh, it's um, – um, you're going to take a lot of crap. And, and on that note, if a fan is paying his hard-earned money to go uh, support your team and watch a game, as far as I'm concerned, unless he's not racist or offensive, the fans should be able to say whatever they want. If they want to boo, let them boo. They're paying their money to be there. So what are you, who are you to say that you, you that they can't say what they want just because it might offend you. And it shouldn't be offending you because you've got to be worried about your team on the field. Put the fans out of your mind. And if the fans are paying their money to be there, and if they want to boo, let them boo. I remember back in the late 80s, Joe Galat, the former um, uh, GM of the BC Lions, when the Lions were struggling and they were having trouble drawing fans. Uh, someone asked him uh, what if uh, fans brought uh, signs of the game um, basically um, uh, against you and his response was well if they're paying to get in I'll help them paint the signs because when you pay your money to go to a game sorry if you want to boo the team because they're not performing well you boo the team and I don't get this other thing that I've seen a couple people online before uh, saying, oh, 
well, if you're a real fan, you don't boo the team. You cheer them. Uh, you don't ever say anything negative, and you don't boo the team. What a bunch of crap that is. I'm sorry. If you're a passionate fan and you uh, want your team to succeed, you're, you have every right to be critical of the team if they're not performing for you. Being Booing the team and being critical of the team doesn't mean you don't care. It means you do. And if you go out to a team and you give them uh, carte blanche and you never say anything negative, no matter how poorly they perform, what exact incentive do they have to get better? They're going to say, well, they love us no matter what we do, so let's just keep doing what you do. No, that's the wrong attitude to have, in my opinion. But that's just me. You know what? I I go back to the 2001 season in Calgary. The starting quarterback in Calgary was Marcus (laughs) Crandall. You think that guy didn't get booed? you You brought me back because I, I'm a guy who always talks about Marcus Crandall. That guy, you know what? He'd throw a 40-yard out, but the ball would bounce twice before it got to the receiver. He was booed mercilessly that entire season, okay? Every chance they got, and it would usually happen about the third or fourth series of every game. The guy never complained once. He had, He kept his mouth shut the entire time. And actions speak louder than words because he won the 2001 Grey Cup. Okay? So you can boo him all he wants, all you want. He's got the ring on his finger, and he probably doesn't even remember. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because he, he, the the end effect was what was supposed to happen. So, you know, and as fans in the stands, and I, and I mean, I hate to say it, but fans can do whatever they want. They pay their money. They go out to get entertained. If they're entertained by booing other teams or booing teams or booing players, hey, more power to them. If I was a Winnipeg fan and and the Bombers came out with the kind of effort they had the other night, I would boo too. Mm-hmm. That simple. So, there you yeah, go. I agree. Yep. And I and I still I'm telling you he sounds he he sounds less of a like a character guy after saying the things he did than than I thought he was. And I'm sorry to be a professional athlete and to play on a team when in in this league one team out of every nine every year wins the Grey Cup. That's it. Okay, you got to grow a much thicker skin to survive in the CFL. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I agree. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, you got to be thick-skinned in this game. This isn't a nice game. All the, this isn't a nice business to be in all the time. Things are not always going to go the way you want. So you got to learn to do. And might with- I, might I add, I didn't hear one bomber player say anything this week to defend Matt Nichols. That's the scariest thing. Yeah, no, you would think that's... that someone would be coming to his defense. You really didn't see that, did you? Unless no, you did not. Yep. No, you did not. And I've looked no. all over the place for it. So, mm-hmm. And I didn't see it. Yep. And I think they were discussing it, too, on TSN on the panel. And 
for the most part, they said, "Yeah, you gotta, you gotta deal with it. It happens." Yeah. Yep. And since we have a minute here, I should give a big shout out to uh, to uh, <laughs> what's his name on the TSN panel. Sorry, what's his name? The ex-Toronto coach or GM. Oh, Jim Barker. Jim Barker. Someone finally fixed his hair. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. He well, looked like a movie star this week. People were saying he was battling Brian Burke for the worst hair on TV. So yep. I think uh, he yep. got a much better this week. At least he got a haircut. He found, he maybe found yeah, a I think that's what it was. He yep. found a barber and they, they fixed him up. So. Maybe maybe Davis Sanchez showed him where to go. Yeah, well, so Davis Davis Sanchez doesn't have a lot of problem with hair right now, so no, he doesn't. Yep. All right, so let's move on, shall we? Let's talk CFL. It worked. What a miracle! All right, so next up, the Montreal Gazette had an article saying that. Despite the fact that the uh, Montreal Alouettes are struggling or have been struggling recently, it looks like their quarterback situation, which was um, very tenuous to start the season, and that might be a a generous generous word, tenuous, because, quite frankly, it was downright scary and embarrassing right from the beginning of the season, is actually now starting to improve. You got Johnny Manziel. I mean, I know he's out with a concussion, but uh, the last game or so he played, he looked pretty decent um, coming in, and he's improving. And then you brought in Antonio Pipkin, who I mean, he wasn't spectacular, but he certainly didn't embarrass himself either. So you've got these guys coming in, and maybe it's uh, just maybe. Their quarterbacking situation is starting to, um, how you say, um, improve uh, and starting to stabilize a little bit. So, Will, what do you think? Do you think this is something that uh, is it starting to improve? I, I think it's gotten better since Johnny Manziel has come in, or Manziel has come in. Um, Pipkin didn't embarrass them at all. Um, you still have uh, who's the, the the third guy who's out with an injury right now. Um, oh, the, the guy um, who's in BC. The guy who's in BC. God, what's his name? Um, uh, the guy who, Alex. who played, Alex Ross. No, um, no, no, I the guy who plays the I, guy who I, plays I, the same as Johnny Manziel. He runs around. Yeah. Um, just, um, God, what's uh, his name? They, Sorry. They, they, um, Vernon Adams. Vernon Adams. Um, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, looking at it right now, I think they have some pretty capable quarterbacks. Are they going to be? <clears throat> are they going to be great? Um, we don't know that yet, but because they're in the development stage, and I guess we shall see. But I think yes, their quarterback situation has improved. Um, and, you know, despite me saying the things I say about uh, their uh, offensive coordinator, my God, why can't I remember names tonight? Who's the OC? Kahari Jones. Kahari Jones has played quarterback in the CFL, and he was a good quarterback in the CFL, 
And I think they can learn from him as being being young guys. And uh, so we shall we shall see. I, I think their situation has gotten better. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I think the team is starting to solidify in a lot of different places. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, will will they be a success this year? I don't think so. Will they be better? Possibly, yes. So. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. Well, look, the Montreal Alouettes have played eight games this season. They have had five different starting quarterbacks in eight games. Some teams don't have that in a decade. They've had it yeah, in less I, than half a season. I, I think I think Pipkin, or whatever his name is, was the 15th starting quarterback they've had in the last three two years or three or something seasons. Like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so, just... Um, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. This is a quarterback-driven league. If you don't have a decent quarterback, you're not going to do anything. Yep. And that's the key to getting any team going is a decent quarterback. Yep. I think Montreal might be on the right path. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's certainly uh, room for at least optimism with uh, yep. Johnny Mandel. Absolutely. I don't know exactly how long he's out for, but uh, I would imagine they don't seem to think it was too serious. So he uh, he's going to probably be back. I'm guessing in the next week week or two. And then Pipkin, mm-hmm. like he said, it was his first real start in the CFL, and he didn't look out of place. He didn't embarrass himself. He didn't throw five picks in his first uh, game or anything like that. He acquitted himself all right. I mean, he was in a, a really uh, a horrible spot going up against Edmonton in Edmonton for the start there. But you know what? He he survived it. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. But there's something to build on. And I, I, I think there's at least reason I, to I don't think know. he can grow. Yeah, I don't know how long he's had to practice with them. It hasn't no, been that much no. that long because we've never heard of this guy before. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and for a guy who hasn't seen much first team reps, he did quite well. I think so too. Yeah, and um, he's only going to get better. I think Johnny Manziel is going to get better. I think we saw improvement from the games he was playing. Um, so I, I at least think that there's some reason for optimism there. I, I'm not saying they're top of the line or anything like that, and it still might take some more time. But you can at least see there where they have some tools that might be able to turn into to something at quarterback. And in the last few years in Montreal, you really haven't been able to say that because most of the guys brought in just aren't show, weren't showing a lot of promise. When you had guys like Jonathan Crompton and Rakeem Cato and – Max Hall, and then there was that Troy Smith, and they just went on and on and on, and they just couldn't get a guy there that even looked like he was ready to uh, to um, take the reins as the starter. Well, I think you're finally seeing guys now that maybe these guys could do something. So, I mean, it's still the jury's still on on it, but at least there's something potentially to look forward there anyways. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. All right, uh, I think we're probably good there in the Montreal quarterback, so let's move on for the next topic here. Talk CFL. It worked twice in a row. Celebration time. 
All right, so prior to this week's game against the Argos, the Toronto Sun caught up with Coach Wally Buono, Lions Coach Wally Buono. And as you know, Wally is in his final season as a CFL head coach. I mean, at least that's what he's, we've been led to believe all along. I mean, there's always the possibility that he could come back. You never know. We thought he was done before. But uh, as it stands right now, this will be his final um season as a CFL head coach. Hey, 276 wins. Not too shabby. More than any coach in the CFL. And if you look at CFL and NFL, only two coaches have more wins than Wally Buono. That's Don Shula and George Hallis. Pretty good names. But, um, yep. yeah, this is going to be his final year, so uh, the Toronto Star- Sun sat down with them. Will, you're in Calgary where Wally Buono had a lot of his coaching success. And hey, what do you know? I'm in BC here where the rest of his coaching success was. So what do you think will be Wally Buono's um, you know, lasting legacy once he steps aside from the CFL? Well, you know what? The number one thing I think, and I guess what it's what we all look for, is Wally Buono is a winner. Okay, he's got he's got seven Grey Cups, five as a head coach, which is the most in CFL history, and and two as an assistant coach. Okay, so he's got seven of them. There's not many guys you can say they have seven. Okay, um, I think he always has consistently good teams. They may not be Grey Cup champions, but they're consistently good. And I and I still believe that Wally's legacy in Calgary is still here because because uh, John Huffnagel was one of his assistants, and I think John Huffnagel runs the Stampeders from a lot of the things he learned from Wally. And and the biggest thing that I look at in Calgary that they do on a regular basis is they get rid of players just before their best before date. And Wally was a master at that in Calgary. Um, I I still do not believe, and I think it goes back to those couple, three years in Calgary where they had terrible management and terrible ownership. I still believe Wally is here if those years didn't happen, to be honest with you. And he's also... You know, he's also been a GM and a head coach for two organizations. And, you know, and consistently, like, he does not he does not get fired after two or three years. But I think his biggest legacy is he's a winner, period. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you got no arguments from here. And another one of his biggest legacies that I've always found is Wally Buono. He knew where to find quarterbacks. I mean, sure, Doug Flutie kind of fell into his lap, but if you look at past Doug Flutie, he's the one that brought in Jeff Garcia. He's the one that brought in Dave Dickinson. He's the one that went off when he came to BC, brought Dave Dickinson with him. Then he went out and he got Casey Printers. Then he went out and got Travis Lule. He also brought he in also, Buck he also He also, he also had Mike Riley. In, he also brought in Henry Burris. Okay. So Wally's responsible. Wally's responsible for at least ten pretty good quarterbacks in the CFL. Absolutely, and these are guys uh, that he went out and found. I mean, 
whoever thought that they would find a guy that could make Doug Flutie expendable in Calgary? Well, they right. did it in Jeff Garcia. And then behind Garcia, think of this for a minute. At one time on their roster, the Calgary Stampede's three quarterbacks were Doug Flutie, Jeff Garcia, and Dave Dickinson. And then when Flutie left, Garcia moved up to two, number one quarterback. Dickinson made the number two quarterback. And who did they bring in as number three? Henry, Henry Burris. So, um, just, I mean, he's a guy you can go out. Um, he, he was finding quarterback left and right. Now, I don't want to, we should probably give some credit, I think, to Roy Shivers because he worked hand-in-hand hand with Wally for many years, both in Calgary and then when they came here to B.C. Uh, so that also, but, of course, Wally's the one that brought Henry, Roy Shivers in. Uh, when they took him out of uh, B.C., he was here for a while in B.C., he fell out with the uh, clown show that was being run here with Joe Cap and Larry Kuharik in the late 1980s. So, Cal- so Wally brought him over to Calgary. Uh, another thing um, for Wally is that he helped turn the BC Lions franchise around. Back in the early <coughs> 2000s, we were getting people were uh, complaining that the Lions have small crowds now. Well, back in the early 2000s, we were getting. Toronto crowd. We were getting thirteen, fourteen thousand uh a year. Or or not a year, but a game. We were getting crowds like they're getting in Toronto. And then once they went out and they brought in Bobby Ackles as the team president, at the end of his first season he went out, he brought Wally Buono here. And that really changed the uh just the attitude of not only the football club but it changed the attitude of the fans towards the football club because it was seen as bringing in a winner because the people here knew all about his successes in Calgary. So once they brought him in, he brought in Dave Dickinson, and you could see that this team was um, a team that had been struggling in the, in the standings for a lot of times. You could see that they, that team, the culture of the entire team was changing. They began winning much more consistently Wally's second year here, they won their first division title in, I think it was about six years or something like that, hosted the Western Final. And the team that was getting 14,000, 15,000 a game put 55,000 in BC Place at the end of Wally's uh, second season uh, after they had won, after they had won the, the division. And uh, Wally also took them to... to Took him to the Grey Cup three times. He really took this franchise, which was floundering, and tur- helped turn them around. It was Wally Buono and Bobby Ackles. So that's a huge legacy as far as I'm concerned here at BC. And it's going to be different without him because he's been here now so long. In fact, I think he's now been in BC longer than he was in Calgary. Uh, or, I don't know, it's pretty close because I know he was in Calgary for a long time too. But um, you got to say that... Uh, very impressive turnaround job, and clearly, I think well, one and two with Don Matthews is the best um, coaches in in Lions history, and probably in the league history. Yeah, um, he was in Calgary from nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven to till two thousand and two. So that's thirteen. 15 years, and he got here in 
2003. So it's 15 years in both cities. How about that? Yeah. The other thing you got to talk about with Wally is he's never been scared to surround himself with people or or coaches that could take his job. No, he has. And if you th- and if you think about it, okay, let's we could go down the list. Let's just think about Calgary. Okay, there was John Huffnagel who became a head coach. He was one of Wally's assistants. Uh, Dave Dickinson was a player of his. Now he's the head coach in Calgary, and he learned from John Huffnagel, who learned from Wally Buono. Um, George Cortez, although he wasn't overly successful as a head coach in Hamilton, he still was a head coach for two years in Hamilton. Um, there's a whole list of guys yeah. that have and been it, in Wally's ranks and, and moved up. And the same thing here in B.C. In his early years here in B.C., his defensive coordinator was Dave Ritchie, a Grey Cup winning right. head coach. And then yeah. he also had Mike Benavides, who went on to become the head coach of the Lions. He had Jacques Chastelain, right. who went on to become the head coach of the Alouettes. So all of these right. guys went on to become head coaches. And Wally was bringing them in, so he, he wasn't afraid of that. In fact, he welcomed it. But that was all part of putting together a good staff that was going to put together a good football team. He knew what he needed, and he went out and got it. That's I believe Chapeline was also with Bono in Calgary, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So, yeah, Wally, I think Wally has, I guess you could say one of his legacies is he has left marks all over this league. Yep. From head coaches to general managers to assistant coaches and so on and so forth. And uh you know, you're gonna you're gonna see I would I would assume and this is just from what you guys have told me, I'm assuming that Travis Lule is gonna be a coach some year. And, and I think that that's not shocked that's, in the least. That's the influence for Wally Buono. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. And and you know what? The thing that people overlook too is that. So now, does he have? Maybe he's got eight Grey Cup rings because he won one as a player in Montreal. Yep. In nineteen in nineteen seventy six. Okay, so maybe he's got eight. Maybe he has more than that. Who knows? But uh, hey. He's a winner. It's that simple. All mm-hmm. the way down, he's a winner from one end to the other. He had some lean years in Calgary, but I still think that was because of the management and the ownership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not much bad you can say about Wally Buono. No. Uh, he had a few uh, lesser years here in B.C., but, of course, he was missing his starting quarterback, Travis Luling. <laughs> you take the starting quarterback away from any team and they're going to have their struggles. Uh, they had Jonathan Jennings emerge somewhat. I know he hasn't had the best of luck in the last few years, but when he first came in, first couple of years of Jonathan Jennings, he showed a lot of promising quarterback. And who knows, maybe he still will going forward. He, it's not like he's an old guy. He's still relatively young. And he's a guy that can, I think still still could be effective. We'll see what happens there. But, yeah. He's a winner. Uh, he's won everywhere he's gone. He's one of the, he's one of the players. He's one of the coach, and he's one of the general managers. So you can't do much more than that. So 
you really got to give Wally uh, the credit um, um, that he deserves as a, a winner in in the CFL, winning his coach of all time in the CFL, and probably will be for uh, some time going forward too. So, anything else, Will on Wally Buono? Nope. Nope. All right, then let's move on and talk about the Argos. This talk CFL. <laughs> so I referenced this a little bit earlier when we were doing our game reviews, but the Toronto Argonauts actually had their biggest regular season crowd in two years on Saturday. They had over 18,000 uh, in attendance for the game against the BC Lions. I was surprised watching them looking at the stands. I'm like, boy, they're a lot more full this week than they did. So what do we think? This uh, Was this just the, uh, the the effect of the CNE? Because I know a lot of people, um, if you bought an Argos ticket, you got into the CNE for free. Or was it the big comeback they had the other in the, in the combination of things? Do you have any idea or any opinion on why the uh, Argos crowd jumped like it I... did? I don't know if I, I I really think it was the CNE to be honest with you. I don't think it was any other reason. I I, I still don't believe, except for the diehard fans in that city, that anybody knows about that about uh, the Argonauts. And uh, you know, maybe who who knows what it was, but I was shocked that they were sold out at eighteen thousand people. Mm-hmm. So, hey, what the heck, more power to them. Yep. And they won, so maybe let's see what their next home game is like. That's I understand true. we are coming we are coming into the part of the season where a people stop going away for the weekends, people stop going on vacation, people stop all of that stuff because right after Labor Day that stuff all stops and and maybe that's a reason as well. Right. Okay. People are too busy during the summer to bother with the uh, Argonauts. So it's possible. Yeah. But the thing is, I know a lot of people are giving credit to the CNE, but the <laughs> thing is, is the the, the offer that they had because they have the same offer in BC this week with the PNE, the Pacific National Exhibition, but the offer was with uh, when you buy a game ticket, you got free admission to the CNE. Well, the admission to the CNE is cheaper than buying a ticket to an Argos game. Well, so how does that make sense that you get in? Well, maybe people just want to do both or so on. Now, it does help that you with the CNE there, you have a lot of people in the area. So maybe you got some people that were walking around the CNE and wanted to give their feet a break for uh, for a few hours and just come in and sit and watch the game. Whatever it was, uh, it was nice to see for once because we – We've seen a lot of uh, this season with the, um, uh, of course, the um, we see into the uh, stadium, and it looks crappy with a bunch of empty seats there. So it was nice to see the, a majority of the seats full for once, which is nice, whatever the reason. And, hey, when you got that many people there and you win, maybe you convince some of them to come back. So that, I think, would be nice if that were the case. And we'll see if they do come back. They've won now a couple of... Uh, Back-to-back uh, games, um, uh, close games, but they've been pretty uh, entertaining. Both the uh, Ottawa game 
and the game against the Lions this past weekend, I thought were quite entertaining. So uh, we'll see if uh, that uh, happens here. You're right. We're coming up to Labor Day, and generally uh, they get a good crowd for the Labor Day um, uh, the Labor Day battles with the um, with the Alouette or with the uh, Tie Cats. Um, I think the Tie Cat they have the return match the week after, if I'm not mistaken. They don't have the uh, they don't have the Labor Day game, but typically the crowd for that are pretty good because, of course, you get a lot of uh, people traveling from the two cities uh, to each other. So, and like you said, the Labor Day they do tend to go up. People aren't out of town as much, so I'll be interested to see if their crowds because. Uh, if you remember last season, going right through into the playoffs, their um, um, attendance was up, uh, kept going up towards the end of the season. So I'm interested to see if we see the same thing um, happen this year. We'll see what happens. And uh, I think uh, the best thing the Argos can do, if they just keep winning, you'll see uh, probably people keep coming. Anything else to add on this, Will? No, that's uh, that's all I think it is. I mean, I mean, let's let's hope that people keep on coming because you need Toronto in the CFL. I agree. Pretty simple. And I I would be curious to know if uh, if uh, the Argonauts had a winning season. If how much of an effect it would have on attendance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they did win the freaking Grey Cup last year, and they can't put people in the seats. So, mm-hmm. do they really care in that city or not? They seem to care when it's convenient. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it's a matter of getting young people interested again. Yep. So. Well, one of the things I thought was really stupid is that they were doing, like, the big tailgate parties and stuff like that before the game outside, and then for whatever reason, they stopped it this year. I don't know why. To me, that seems short-sighted, but I don't know. Maybe there was a reason for doing it. Maybe it was cost, it cost them too much money. Well, from what I've well, heard from people in Toronto is that uh, their um, marketing leaves a lot to be desired. Yes. I've heard that. They don't market the team very well at all. <laughs> and I and I think marketing in this day and age for those guys, it is very important because you have such a diverse uh, nationality of people there, mm-hmm. and they have they have so much competition. They have the Raptors. They have have the Maple Leafs. They have baseball. They have all that stuff. You got to market the crap out of your team to make that work. No doubt about it. I agree, especially in a city like Toronto, which is so full with with different um, different options, entertainment. They got all the major sports there, and so on. Not to mention all the other stuff that goes on in Toronto. There's always stuff going on there, so it's doubly important in Toronto, I think. All right. Anything more to go on this one? No, I'm uh, I'm good on this one, and I think All that's right. it for our that's it that's for our the agenda. The agenda I did, but that's okay. There's some other stuff we can talk about, so we'll just move okay. on here. Let's talk CFL. 
So I mentioned earlier about breaking news out of the BC Lions cap. Well, the breaking news is this, is that the BC Lions have signed or re-signed or signed linebacker Micah Awe, or I think that's how you pronounce it, Awe, Micah Awe. He was with the Lions last year. uh, Then he went down, and he has been trying out down in the NFL. Uh, I'm guessing the um, tryouts didn't go all that well because he just signed uh, about an hour ago, according to this report that I'm seeing here. Uh, but he's re-signed with the BC Lions. Now, Micah Awe, uh, as if you remember back to last season, well, he was the subject of some controversy. He's a linebacker, and he hits hard, as we saw many times last year. But he got dinged a couple of times. Uh, he was definitely fined, and I can't remember whether or not he was suspended, but I know he got fined. Uh, for hits that were considered dangerous hits, hits to the head, or at least the head area, or leading with the head on some of these. So he's a vicious hitter, but he could also be a liability if he's taking penalties for bad hits. So I'm sure you remember Micah Awe from last season. Will, what are your thoughts on the Lions bringing him back? You know what? I I thought he was a good young player. Um, I, I think they uh, have to get him to adjust his game slightly. But you don't want to take that kind of enthusiasm away from a rookie guy or a second-year guy. And I think he'll help the he'll help the uh, he will improve this he'll improve the BC Lions because who do they have right now? They have the rookie kid replacing Solly right now. Yeah, Herdman, and, Jordan Herdman. They've got um, Odell Willis. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about – I'm, uh, I'm talking linebacker here. Well, so they have – he was a linebacker, was he not? Yes, he was. Okay, so they have uh, the young guy replacing uh, Solly. Yeah, they have Bola, hurt. Bola Combo. Bola Combo. And who's the guy on the other side? I don't even know. Well, I'm just um, trying to remember that there. Um, uh, geez, I can't think of his name. I, the name will come to me. I know who you're talking about. I'm just trying to get it to come to me. But I know who you're mm-hmm. talking about. But, so uh, he, makes them, he makes them better. I, I thought I you were going to say, oh, yeah. I thought you were going to tell me they signed Deron Carter. <laughs> oh, thank God, no. No, I don't and, think they're, uh, they're not going there. He's still without a job. He might not get signed. Mm-hmm. He might not get signed. Um, but what is the what is the sign deadline? Can you bring guys in all year long or not? I believe so. I don't know if there's a signing deadline. Uh, I know they have a trading deadline, but I'm not sure there's actually a a signing deadline. Although I may be wrong on that. If anyone's listening, you can chime in. Uh, Online, well, no, because but, uh, you think about it, you think about it. The uh, the CFL does bring in NFL cuts, and that's coming up. Right, and that's totally okay, yeah, they're so not guess, all done yet. So right, the other guy, so we're, the other guy, we were missing a linebacker with Otha Foster. Right, Otha Foster. So that's a yeah. pretty uh, that's a pretty good linebacking crew now and in the future. Okay, yeah. Depending on what happens with Solly, I mean, he'll be around for a few more years for sure. But, uh, <clears throat> and I, I think Erdman, who's uh, 
replacing Solly right now has not done badly for a first-year rookie linebacker. I agree. Okay. Um, oh, I mean, that's looking up easy. Um, you know, and and the other thing you got to think about. Let's get back to this Deron Carter thing. I think uh, <clears throat> in the next week or so, we're going to see some guys getting released because mm-hmm. uh, the contract guarantee yeah, guaranteed contract thing guarantee. doesn't doesn't happen till after Labor Day, and so you know, take a look at some of the higher played guys out there who haven't done much this year mm-hmm. and are they going to get cut? Right? So, I mean, I still think, uh, I still think there's a place for Deron Carter in the CFL um, on the too. right team, on the right team. If people can control them, mm-hmm. but I'm sure, I'm sure coaches are concerned about bringing him in and screwing up the chemistry they have in the locker room. But I, I'm shocked that... With him. Yeah, I'm shocked that uh, that uh, Montreal didn't sign him, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if Toronto's going to make a run, if they sign him. And, and like I said last week, I still think he would be a great fit in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And uh, might push them over their top on their on their offense, but I guess it just depends if you're willing to take a chance. Yeah, so. that's a key thing. And there are teams <laughs> out there that probably would, but there's also a lot of teams out there that probably said, "No, we don't want to take a chance." It's a disruption, right? But if you're a team right. right now sitting on the bubble there, that you're there sitting, well, are we going to make the playoffs? If you're on the bubble and you thinking maybe you need to something to push yourself over the edge, he might be a guy you take a chance on because, hey, if you're already uh, on the bubble here and you think he could be a guy to um, push over the edge, why not try? Because, yep. quite frankly, uh, if you're already on the bubble, you got to do something. And I remember yes. one, of the, one of the examples I'll go back to is back in 2011, when the Lions were really struggling early that season, and remember they got off to a one and five start that year, and then Wally right. traded, which he very rarely does. He trades and brings in Arlan Bruce, uh, who was actually a receiver very similar to Deron Carter because he had his own uh, off the field uh, issues and stuff issues. like that. But uh, Wally brought him in, and it was a surprise uh, at that time. Uh, but that really helped turn the team around because they kind of took off from there. So um, it can work, but it's got to be the right situation. It's not going to work for everybody. Uh, It's got to be a situation that can really control him because if they don't, uh, it could end up blowing up in your face. So that's why I think a lot of teams right now are reluctant to do so. Yep, I would agree with that. Yep. (coughs) I would agree with that. So. Mhm. So an interesting signing there. No, it's not Deron Carter, but hey, that might come at some point. Not necessarily by the Lions, but by somebody. We'll just have to wait and see. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Talk CFL. All right, we got about uh, 17 minutes left uh, in the show, so let's uh, see here. We've got a couple other things that I was going to bring up. Um, now, why is it you can never find something when you're looking for it? Um, and, oh, I know where I was going to go to. I was going to click on the quarterback rankings, the up-to-date ones. No, here's what I was going to talk about. Uh, how about um, the most uh, most obvious um, headline I've ever – the most ridiculously um, obvious headline – I've ever seen. I saw this story a little while ago, and I just kind of snickered at it. Uh, from TSN, a guy named Andy McNamara talking about the Montreal Alouettes. Jobs on the line if the Alouettes keep losing. Thanks, Captain Obvious. I would have never guessed that. Jobs were on, should have been on the line last year when the Alouettes kept losing, and they didn't. But uh, yeah, jobs are on the line. Okay, so I noticed here that um, going to the quarterback rankings, these are the official quarterback rankings from CFL.ca. Who does the rankings? It says CFL.ca staff, so it might be a um, might be a group of people or people that just don't want to be um, um, identified. But we've got a new leader on the quarterback um, rankings, and Mike Riley has overtaken Bo Levi Mitchell into the number one spot on the quarterback rankings. Probably not a surprise seeing as Edmonton won that this week and uh, the uh, Stampeders suffered their first loss. Would you yeah, put that another, there? Would you put? That's, that's another captain obvious. I think Mike Riley should have been there all year, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. So you got Mike Riley first, Bo Levi Mitchell in second, Jeremiah Mazzoli third. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that's still a bit too high because he's been up and down. Trevor I think Harris, uh, Trevor Harris should be third. That's what I was thinking. He's fourth behind Mazzoli. Maybe I would swap Harris and Mazzoli. Number five is Matt Nichols. Number six is Travis Lule. You could make an argument for swapping those two, although Matt Nichols does have the better record. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would swap those two in a second. I, I, I really actually, and if you don't base it on stats of, alone, I, uh, I could put Matt or I could put Travis Lule at number three. To be honest with you. Well, this stat even says that if Emmanuel Arsenal doesn't fumble and the Lions win that game in Toronto, you probably move Travis Lule up ahead of Matt Nichols at the very least and maybe even up further. You could make a case for Lule being three right now, I think, yeah. Zach Caleros is number seven. um, And McLeod Bethel-Thompson, number eight. That almost seems a bit low to me. Yeah, well, I, he's, I only could, played, he's only played two games. I guess he's only games, played the so, two games. Yeah. I you know, talk to me, talk to me in, uh, talk to me in four weeks, and yeah, see how point. he's done. Good point. You know. And then Antonio Pipkin, of course, nine. That's pretty much by default. He's only played the one <laughs> game. Yep. So they did a, a fan poll on um, let on CFL.ca. About who should be higher in on the um, 
rank higher in the quarterback index. And this is a great fan pool because it doesn't tell me what the results are. It just says vote, and then when you try to vote, it doesn't do anything. All right, so we're not going to talk about what the what the um, results are. Who cares? If you're going to run a crappy poll, I'm not going to talk about it. Good for you, CFL.ca. <coughs> All right. Hmm. So, where are we at now? 13 minutes left. We'll get through this show yet. So, here's something I want to ask you. All right. Since it's just the, since it's just the two of us on here tonight. Mm-hmm. Right now, looking at the whole season so far, who are your picks to be in the Great Cup this year? Hmm. This is a tough one. Um, I've got to say Calgary again because, quite frankly, at seven and one, they've been easily the most consistent. Even with the loss this week, they've been easily the most consistent team of any uh, of the teams there. So I have to go with Calgary. Um, the problem is, who is going to be that? team that represents the East because I still think that one of these years a crossover team is going to is going to come out of the East. I mean it's, it was close last year if you remember back to Saskatchewan playing in Toronto when they it looked like it was going to happen because they ended up taking the lead uh, in that uh, late, in, late in that Eastern final game. It didn't end up happening because the Argos were able to pull it out. Yep. I'm just trying to think. Um, I'm going to say Calgary and Ottawa right now because I think Calgary right now is a class of the West. And I think if you're looking at the East, probably since the beginning of the season, Ottawa, even though they've had their issues, probably has been the most consistent team in the East which is really, um, it's weird to say because they've really been up and down. But based on playing, it really looked like Trevor Harris is is coming into form. I mean, he had 400-plus yards last week, and then just this past game he had 360. And they have a very talented um, receiving core with guys like Sinopoli, guys like... Um, Oh, shoot, what's the other guy's name? Sinopoli, and who's their other big receiver there? Um, Ellingson. Thank you, Greg Ellingson. They've got a very good running back in William Powell, and their defense seems like they're getting stronger. So if I were to pick right now, and don't hold me to this, because a lot can happen between now and November, but just based right now, I would probably say Calgary and Ottawa. So what would you say? Uh, what I would say is the only clear-cut one right now is Calgary. and But you still have to play the Western final regardless of what place you're in. And on any given day, any team can beat the other. You see, this is the thing. This is probably my favorite thing about the CFL. and And people kind of scowl at it sometimes, but my favorite thing about the CFL is right now, currently in the CFL, I'm pretty much sure, pretty sure 
any team can be in the Grey Cup with the exception of Montreal. Because I think their record's just too bad to, mm-hmm. to, to make it. But that's the thing I love the most about the CFL. Any team can be in the Grey Cup at any time of the year. And I hate referencing this, but I go back to 2001. And all you got to do is get there and you have a chance to win. Take, I mean, even take the last two years. The, the, what were they? Toronto was eight and nine last year or something like this. The last, and they won the, right. Yeah. And they won the great cup. Toronto and Ottawa the year before that. Yeah. Yeah. And they both won the great cup. A team with a losing record has won the great cup two years in a row. That's correct. Yeah. Which doesn't say too much for my Calgary Stampeders, but hey, it is what it is. But that's what I like about the CFL. Nobody is out of it yet. I gotta say, and, if and, the Cal- go on, go ahead. If, if I was just gonna say, if go, you go ahead, I'll go, go after. In in the past, even if you bring in a couple of key players from the NFL draft or the NFL cuts, and you've seen this happen before, it can push your team right over the top. Yep. And you can go, you can go on a run at the end of the year. And get into the Grey Cup and win it all. Yeah, I agree that's with that. Neat, that's the neatest thing. That's why, that's the biggest thing I love about the CFL. You know, if you take the, if you take the NFL, man, you lose your first five games, you're done. Okay? You're not seeing playoffs. You're not going anywhere. It's decided. Okay? So, I mean... What kind of a season is it for those Cleveland Brown fans when when by week five they're out, never to return? And I understand the NFL is a bigger league, yeah. But that's why you can you can be a terrible team one season, and the next season you can be great, or you can be a terrible team all season, but you always have a chance to make the playoffs. And once you get into the playoffs, if you gel correctly, you could win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I would say right now the front runners have to be Calgary and Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So. And I was just going to say, if the Stampeders get to the Grey Cup again for the third year in a row, how many butterflies are going to be in the stomach of the Stampeder fans that the, the same thing doesn't happen a third time? I mean... <laughs> I mean, after two years ago with that loss to Ottawa and then losing to Toronto last year, I mean, it's going to be a bunch of nervous people if they get there again this year. One, no of, the greatest things, one of the greatest things in football history, okay, is the Buffalo Bills losing the Super <sighs> Bowl four years in a four row. Four years in a row. How, how... How does that happen? I, but Calgary, I don't know. But Calgary, but Calgary is halfway there. And the so, closest they, the Bills were with the first year, they would have won had their kicker made the field goal, and then the next three years they got blown out. That's correct. Yep. That's, cor- that's correct. And, I mean, I think quite truthfully for Calgary, I think this is – this is the last year they have a chance to do this because I I I keep on hearing rumors all over the place that Bo Levi Mitchell will not be here next year. So, so he's gonna go to, go go down to the U.S. 
he's going to try the NFL and he's not going to make it, but he's going to do his tour of NFL teams that will take him. And then I have a feeling he's going to end up in the Alliance League. And after that, I think he ends up in the XFL. And it's only a money thing, and it's also a small town, you know, a small town town American kid whose dream, I mean, let's face it, Bo Levi's dream has never been playing quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders. No. He didn't even know who they were six years ago. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, I, I still think he'll do his, his NFL dream thing, despite I'm sure Dave Dickinson has talked to him about it extensively because he tried it and he never made it. Um, and there's a number of quarterbacks in the CFL who tried it and never made it. But it's the same, it's the same scenario as the little kid. You tell him, you tell him, don't touch the stove because he's going to get burnt. But he's still got to try. And I think Bo's still going to try. I don't mm-hmm. think he has much of a chance, but he's still going to try. So. Yeah, I think he. I mean, he and he grew up in Texas. I mean, that's. That's football central in the United States. I mean, you, they get 30,000 people for frickin' high school games down in Texas. You don't think a kid that grew up playing football in Texas is going to at least want to try take one shot at the NFL? Well, I mean, I, Bo I, Levi I can't. Mitchell, Bo Levi Mitchell has said his dream, his ultimate dream, has always been running out of Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys Tunnel in mm-hmm. Texas because he's a Texas boy, right? Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. So, I mean, and what, you look at it, I mean, he's just, uh, like I said, a Texas guy who grew up in that football culture, and the the Dallas Cowboys are huge, well, really right throughout Texas. So, um, yeah, I mean, you got to think that he's going to need to take a shot even if he doesn't um, doesn't make it, he needs to take the shot just, I think, to satisfy himself, just to see if he were to play in the CFL and not take a shot at the NFL, he would always be wondering that. And I think he feels that he has to do it. Yeah. I really think that. I would agree. Yep. I would agree. And I'm just looking because one of the things that went under the radar the other day is the Stampeders cut their third string quarterback and brought somebody else in. I saw Um, that. Yeah. And this guy is supposed to be quite the quarterback. So um, I'm just trying to remember his freaking name. Um, Because, uh, they're talking about he could be the next one. And Calgary usually identifies those guys quite well. Yeah, so They do. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, I'm just looking now. Nick Arbuckle. Yeah. Well, anyways, before you up. go too far Montel, on that, well, I'm going to have Montel. Sorry, go on. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, Montel, go on. Go ahead. Montel Cozart. 
Montel Cozart, yeah. I'll have to do some research on him for the next game. Yeah, is he, he's the one they brought in, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. Okay, we made it. We're down to 45 seconds, so we're going to have to quickly say goodnight. This, this has been Let's Talk CFL, episode 273. It's just been the two of us tonight, me and Will, uh, reviewing the past week. So you don't have a lot of time to wait to hear us again because we're going to be back in less than 48 hours and reviewing the upcoming week. Uh, so quickly, 30 seconds, Will, say goodnight. Goodnight, everybody. Charles, we did it again. There's only the two of us, and we managed yep. to do it and with no time to spare. So good yep. night, everybody. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. <laughs>